Authority is an interesting idea. When we think of authority, we think of making all the rules and ruling over something. But authority, in our sense, is given by God to uphold, or as we're about to see, to host a rule. So it's, it is ruling over something, for, but for us, authority is receiving to uphold the rule of God's kingdom, if that makes any sense. Um, so we alone, we alone, by ourselves, apart from God, have no originating authority. We don't, ori- we don't um, create authority, okay? It's given to us. But born again, we have all authority. So you don't, therefore take authority as much as you receive it. One is by force or works, we would say. The other is by rest and the identity of who you are in relation to the one who does, in fact, hold all authority. Y'all with me? I'm not talking about authority today, but I'm leading up to what we're talking about. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says it like this, very familiar. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay? So who holds all authority? Jesus. All right, okay. Not a trick question. The English word for authority comes from the word author. And in, a, in the uh, Latin means originator. Okay? So in the Latin, where this word comes from, English came from Latin, uh, this word comes from uh, the word, root word where we get author, and it means the originator, okay? So it carries the sense that because something or someone is the originator, they are operating in a ruling capacity by way of their authorship. Y'all with me? So for somebody to have authority in the original sense would be they are the author of whatever that they have authority over. And because of their creating what they're ruling over, by default, they rule over that. So, so me, and, me and Jordan are Veda's parents because we created Veda. I mean, God created you, but you, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, so that's kind of the original intent behind authority. In Genesis, God gives Adam all authority in the earth to subdue it. That's the command he gives them. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. God had the authority to give because he was the author. Right? Go back to Psalm 8 if you want to read a whole thing about man. It's a really good chapter. Um, So why are we talking about authority? Because today we're talking about the foundation of tithing. Typically... When this topic is discussed, it's given with the underlying message of a message that is works-based or a works-based gospel. So, in other words, typically when we talk about tithing, it's if you do this, you'll get this. Kind of a cause and effect, right? And while I'm particularly, or partially, I guess I would say, okay with this thinking when it comes to tithing, I do want to shed light on the broader implications a people withholding or releasing the tithe has on his kingdom coming. So this is why today I really want to marry the tithe and authority. I want to marry those together today. How much authority you inherit 
is determined by your willingness to unlock or to keep locked heaven's floodgates. One more time. If you want to write this down, this would probably be the one to write. How much authority you inherit, you receive, is determined by your willingness to either unlock or to keep locked heaven's floodgates. Heaven's gates are something that we have been given the authority to open and close. This is why I'm okay with some of this cause and effect language when it does come to tithing. Tithing isn't an issue of how God sees you. Tithing is an issue of how our culture sees God. One more time. Tithing is not an issue of how God sees you. But it is an issue of how our culture sees God. Why? Because it is our most tangible form of worship. It costs me nothing to sing a song. And as much as that's a good thing, it costs me nothing to sing a song. But when I give God a significant portion of my money or my resources, it absolutely costs me something. Right? Y'all with me? Okay. Getting real quiet. I'm okay with that. Um, It's our rawest form of trust, our most selfless act of image-bearing, and our most powerful contribution to his bride, the church. Tithing isn't some, mind, isn't some mindless act of ex- excess. So I give when I can or what I can. It is a purposeful act of thanksgiving. Your tithe is a prophetic insight that tells all your other resources what they will be, which is dedicated to the Lord. It's not a response to your lack. It's a recognition of your blessing. I stole that from Olivia. So Olivia, I know you're watching this today. That was straight stolen from you. But it was so good. I've talked about that, I think, ten times. She shared that like a month ago. I don't know if y'all remember that. But she talked about tithing for a little bit. And that was like the thing that she talked about. And it was so good. So it's not a response to your lack. It's a recognition of your blessing. The reason the church is funded by the tithe is because it is the bride of Jesus, the body of believers. Therefore, it must be sustained by a continual yes to trust and covenant, both of which render the church a club if removed. One more time. I know I'm using a lot of language, so just... The reason the church is funded by the tithe is because it is the bride of Jesus and the body of believers. Therefore, the people in covenant, therefore, it must be sustained by a continual yes to trust and covenant, the essence of what the bride is, both of which render the church a club if they are removed. If you remove trust, and you remove covenant from the bride, it's no longer the bride. It's a club that people come to. So my goal today is to begin the process of us living under the open gates of heaven because of our decision to obey, to trust, and to love through our our tithe. 
Um, I know people get weird when we talk about tithing. I don't know why. I'm going to actually address this at the end. I think I really think it's because of conviction um, that people don't want other people to talk about the tithe. Uh, but this is a, a massive, massive thing. And full disclosure, um, I had two messages written that were not about the tithe for today. One on the resurrection, which I spent hours putting together, and it's still not done. But I was ready to go with the resurrection. That is, and whenever that comes up, that is my bread and butter, is the resurrection. Um, but uh, you know, I, at least I've been doing this for a long time, when the Lord is on something and when he's not. And even if I'm all over it, I don't want to touch it if the Lord's not on it. And um, so I had this message I was really excited about, but I knew the Lord did not want that. And then I had another message that, uh, that I started writing and just knew the Lord wasn't on that. And so I was like, literally, I think this was maybe a, a Friday morning. I was like, Lord, I'm just going to sit here until you tell me what you want to say because uh, this isn't working out. And, um, and he took me to 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to get there in a minute, and, uh, and said this was the week we need to talk about the tithe. And so, um, and so anyway, we talked about the Holy Spirit last week, but, but there are some foundational things, and I'm about to read a lot of Scripture but there's some foundational things that if we don't get right, we might as well not even have the conversation about spiritual gifts. Because that was the other message I had. Spiritual, we talked about the Holy Spirit. Let's get into spiritual gifts. And it's like, hold up. Hold up. There, there, is, there are, are gates that we have access to that we keep locked because of our unwillingness to unlock them and let him pour out. And I say we, as we're a church that, that gives at an awesome level. So, so what this message is for a lot of us is a, because of your obedience, this is what's actually shifting in the kingdom. Okay? So that's, that's a lot of what this is for us. Um, but for some that don't give, and particularly I'm looking at the camera, um, we love you guys. But for some, this, I hope this is a message that, that convinces you that the Lord wants to use you as well to unlock what he wants to do in the kingdom, uh, specifically through, uh, through Columbia. So uh, anyway, what is the tithe? Number one, what is the tithe? Uh, tithe in Hebrew, it means tenth. That's, that's the definition of what it means. Tithe in Hebrew is tenth. It comes from Genesis 14 and uh, 17 through 20, and then Hebrews 7 actually references this. So I, I, want, I want to read, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read just what Hebrews 7 says about the first tithe, okay? Hebrews 7 says this, and uh, starting in verse 1, he says, Melchizedek was king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. It's the first tithe. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think of how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. I love that language. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. Let me just point out, this is written in Hebrews. This is the New Testament is what we're reading. That is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him, uh, him who had the promises. 
and without a doubt, the lesser was blessed by the greater. Verse 8, almost done. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. He's talking about Melchizedek pointing to Jesus, okay? Um, One might even say that Levi, who collects a tenth, the priest, uh, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still living in the body of his ancestors. So what he's saying here is that when Abraham gave a tenth of his tithe, when he gave a tenth to Melchizedek, Melchizedek later is pointed to as representing Jesus. Okay, Um, So when Abraham gives Melchizedek a 10% tithe, that what he was not doing was just giving him a flippant, here's 10%. He was tithing on behalf of not just himself, but on, the, on behalf of his legacy. So it said Levi was in Abraham's loins. And so when he gave that 10%, he wasn't just giving 10% for him. He was giving 10% for all those who came after him as well. He was setting a precedent for his legacy. Okay? So this is where the first tithe comes from. The Israelites were required to bring not just a tenth of everything to the Lord, but the first and the best tenth of everything to the Lord. It wasn't that big of a loss to bring the last and worse, but it took massive commitment and trust to bring their best. I don't want to fly through this too quick. The Israelites were required not just to bring a tenth, they were required to bring the first and the best tenth of what they had. So, so they didn't give, and we're about to read this in Malachi. They, they did not give the last tenth and the worst of what they honestly could live without. They gave the first tenth and the best of what was actually going to cost them a lot. Okay. <clears throat> Let me just, I'm going to read a couple of verses. Leviticus 30, you don't have to turn there, I'm just reading one verse. Leviticus 30 says this, the tithe, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. That's what Leviticus uh, 27.30 says. In Proverbs 3.9, it also talks about giving from a, um, from a heart that honestly trusts in the Lord. Let me, let me just read this to you. Because uh, I don't want to misquote or, uh, or just fly through anything. In Proverbs 3, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats, vats will brim over with new wine. Okay? So, a tithe is the first and best 10% minimum of what you make. I, I, I know this is going to rub people so weird because I'm talking about money. I'm just trying to give you what the tithe is, okay? The first and the best 10% of what you make, not after taxes, not after Social Security, but of what you make. We would call it in America gross pay. That's, that's just what the 10% is. When you give, so people like, well, can I give after taxes? If you want to, that's totally cool. I'd rather be blessed with everything that I give, but... Um, your taxes, Social Security, all that stuff is not money that you don't have. It's money that you're going to later on file on your taxes. And when you get older, you're going to make Social Security. So this is your money. Y'all with me? Okay. So now that we've established what the tithe is, first and best 10% minimum, uh, let me answer why it is still for today and why we should use the new covenant 
to elevate, not lower the standard. Are y'all with me? I know this isn't an amen message, but that's, I'm, that's cool. And I'm, I'm going through this foundation because I actually do have a message. This is all just kind of laying lay in the intro, okay? So we've established it. The, the thing that most people will say today is, that was for the Old Testament. It's not for the New Testament. We don't need to do that anymore. And the, the New Testament is elevating the standard. It, it, it is not lowering the standard. Amen? Okay. Matthew, I mean, this is, I'm going to just blow through a couple of these. Matthew 5, 17. Do, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fill them, or fill to the brim, to bring them into their fullness. Okay? The word fulfill in a lot of your Bibles, I think is a bad translation. That's just me. The word fulfill is literally to full, F-U-L-L, fill, to fill to the full. Okay? So I haven't come to do away with the Old Testament and do away with the old law. I've come to fill it to its fullness. That's what he says. Matthew 6, 21, and this is going to be kind of our anchor verse for the rest. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 23, he tells the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now listen to what he says. He says, You should have practiced the latter, tithing, without neglecting the former, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So he's not saying... Hey, you tithe, that's awesome. But you should have forgotten about that and done this stuff. He says, no, no, no. You should have done that. But it should have been married with your love for people as seen through your justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Okay? New Testament. Where your treasure is, your heart is. Mark 12, 41 through 44. A widow puts two coins in the offering. Y'all remember this story? Put two coins in the offering while the rich are throwing all their other money in. And Jesus says in verse 43 and 44, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty and put everything in, all that she had to live on. Thanks, Julia. The New Testament does not lower or erase the standard as some falsely believer teach. It 100% raises the standard way beyond the Old Testament standard. Well, Josh, give me an example. Glad you asked. Acts 4. This is after Jesus ascends, after the cross, after the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit falls. The last days, this is where this is. It says this, No one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. And if you read on, it says they brought everything to the apostles' feet. No one, that's literally, if you want to live by this new, man, you know, I, just 10%, that seems like Old Testament to me. I would gladly love for us to live in the New Testament standard, which as we see in Acts was 100%. So we can do that too. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I would, I, we would love that, actually. You know, if y'all want to give 100% sell your houses, all that stuff, we would love that. But th- this, is the, this is the standard that G- Jesus comes, and through the blood, we're not living on a lower level. Through the blood, we're living on a level that explodes with trust. 
because we're covered in the blood. And not only are we covered in the blood, we're filled, like I thought last week, with His very Spirit. So, so it, it elevates us to a place where before we were like, man, we got to make sure we give that 10% so God sees us as good. And we move beyond that to, man, maybe we should give 20% because God is good. Right? So, so it really shifts. In, 2 Corinthians 9, this is what uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. They're taking up an offering. And, uh, and I'm going to get to Malachi. That's where our main text is going to be today. But in 2 Corinthians 9, this is what Paul tells the church in Corinth who are, who are giving um, to the other believers. He says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, listen, listen to this uh, language, New Testament, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap gener- generously. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, this is Isaiah uh, 55, or excuse me, this this is Psalm 112. I misquoted that, Psalm 112. He says, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower... And bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And though, excuse me, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Okay, I'm just giving you a lot of verses because I want to make sure that you have all the scripture you need. So the tithe, just to reiterate, and then we'll jump into the actual message. The tithe is the first and best at minimum. I'm giving you scripture. I'm not giving you me. At minimum, 10% of our gross pay or gifts, all that we have, and is an even more urgent issue of the heart in the New Testament. The New Testament tithing transitions from an issue of earning your righteousness to an issue of your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So, now that we've established that, what is the tithe? Is it for today? All that other stuff. Now that we've established it, let's get into the message of authority and the tithe. Go to the book of Malachi. This is, this is one of my favorite books. It's, it's, it's a little depressing if you read it by itself. But looking ahead to what comes after this, it is just it's such a good book. Last book of the Old Testament, if you're looking for it, right before Matthew. Um, let me give while you're turning there, let me give you some background of who Malachi was, the uh, time he was writing this, what was going on, so you can kind of see what we're about to read in the right kind of context. So that this is the last book of the Old Testament. It was written, written by the prophet Malachi, whose ministry took place about 100 years after captivity in Babylon. He wrote this book while the land, this is really important, he wrote this while the land was facing economic privation, which means it was in a state in which all the essential things for human life were scarce or lacking. Uh, They were facing crop failure, they were facing prolonged drought and pestilence. So he's writing this in a very difficult time in their history. 
And the key idea, specifically in what we're about to read, was that they were not facing adversity and living under a curse in spite of their behavior in not tithing, but because of their lack of tithing. This is the huge predominant theme in Malachi. He's not saying, you're in a really difficult time, and on top of that, y'all have been disobedient by not giving. Malachi says, we're in a really difficult time, and it's because of your disobedience and not giving. So, so he's really, sh- and, I, and I know, I know, I know what everybody's going to respond to this as, but just hang with me till the end, and I'm going to redeem all of it. The key idea, the key idea of this whole thing, that they were facing adversity and living under a curse because of their lack of willingness to trust God with what they had. This, this right here is one of the places that I totally disagree with replacement theology on that we throw away the Old Testament because we have the New. Jesus did not come to do away with cause and effect covenant, but to shift who we were and redeem the effects when we fall short of the cause. So the Old Testament, real like blanket, kind of simply, is, is labeled as kind of a cause and effect covenant. You do this and this happens, cause and effect. But Jesus didn't come to do away with the cause and effect idea. Jesus came to redeem the effects when we fall short of the cause. Y'all with me? Okay. So, I don't give, this is just an example. I don't give because I'm required to, to stay in right standing with God. I give because I'm in right standing with God. So, So it's not an earning it issue now it's a leveraging it issue. I don't give because I'm required to. I give because I'm in right standing with God. And now my tithe isn't how I earn something. It's actually how I leverage what I have. So I'm not tithing to get. I'm tithing because I've gotten. Are y'all, are y'all with me? Okay. Whew, man, I felt good to say. All right. Malachi 3. Malachi 3, 6 through 12. Smallest amount of scripture I've ever read as a main text, but that's okay. Malachi 3. I would love to go to Malachi 1 because there are some good stuff. Maybe one day. Um, Malachi 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. I could preach 14 messages on that. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. The kindness, the kindness in that. I don't change, and because I'm consistent, you are not destroyed, even in your inconsistency. Verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Now listen to this right here. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Return to me, and I'll return to you. But you ask, well, what do we need to do to return to you? Verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In the tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not, this is the language, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Not only that, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. Now remember what they're in. Remember what I just said, okay? He's writing this in the middle of all the essential stuff for human life is scarce and lacking. Their crops are failing. They're in a drought. There's pestilence everywhere. And he says this, I'll prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. The land in that moment is not delightful. It's under a curse. He's telling them their willingness to release the tithe is so powerful, it has the authority to throw open the floodgates of heaven and reverse the entirety of what their whole nation is walking through right then. It, it, wasn't, it was not an issue of, in, in this case, how do we return to you? He doesn't tell them to do this and this and this and this and this and this, and then I'll think about it. He says, if you'll give me what's mine, I'll throw open the floodgates and give you so much blessing, you'll have to ask each other what to do with it. He said, return to me and I'll return to you. This is covenant language. This is God remembering the covenant he made with Abraham all through the line down to Israel. Return to me and I'll return to you. They ask how. And the entire passage following is God's response to the question of how to turn back to him so that he would turn back to them. This message is very similar, very similar to the message that Jesus and John the Baptist preached, which was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I've taught on that so many times. This language, return to me and I'll return to you, is so similar to the message that we see when you flip over a few pages of John the Baptist and Jesus when they say, repent, which means what? Turn and go in the other way, the other direction. So return to me and I'll return to you. Repent. Change the way you're going, for the kingdom of heaven is coming at you, is at hand. So very similar language. Tithing, according to Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your heart is, reveals where your heart is. So restoring holiness, Leviticus 27, I read it, calls the tithe holy. And restoring honor, go back to Genesis 14, when Abraham gives the first tithe out of honor. Restoring holiness and honor to the tithe is a sign that your heart has been transformed and vice versa. And I say it like this. I was having a conversation with the Lord and myself uh, the other day about this. But it's impossible for your tithe to be where your heart is not. And it's impossible for your heart to be where your tithe is not. So, so it's impossible for you to withhold from God and yet your heart be with God. But it's also impossible for you to release what you have to God and your heart be far from God. Now let me ask you something. 
He, he tells them, he tells them to not withhold the tithe, but bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. That obedience would then cause heaven floodgates to open up and to pour out a heavenly blessing. What does this sound like? Now, some of you, most of you aren't going to remember this, even though I've talked about it a hundred million times. What does this language sound like? Fix your heart, your treasure, and I'll pour out. Does this not sound like Jesus when he says, new wine can't be poured into an old wineskin? Because if so, the wineskin would burst and the wine would be wasted. I know I've taught this a million times. But he says, if you'll fix the wineskin, if you'll submit to the wineskin being transformed, that will release new wine. So us submitting to the process of becoming new is what releases new wine. It's not God saying, I feel like I want to release it today. He's withholding, not because he's mean. He's withholding because we're not ready. So it's an issue of our readiness, right? This language is the same thing. Us releasing the fullness of our tithe is a sign that our heart has been transformed to the point that he can release all that he wants to release. And he doesn't just talk about money. He says, test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. He's not just talking about finances. And I would say if our idea of blessing is primarily finances, we've got a really poor view of what blessing is. Man, I made it to the end of this quick. What in the world is going on? But, but this is the reason we're talking through this is because we as a church do, do really well at tithing. And so the primary reason I think the Lord wants to give us this view of things is to show us we are unlocking things in the kingdom right now by way of our continual obedience that have not been unlocked in a long time because of a continual disobedience. So, so number one, to encourage you, like we, we are on the doorstep of what no eye has seen, no ear has heard. How do I know that? Because most of our people are faithful in tithing. And it says right here, there's, there's another verse in the Old Testament, and it says this uh, pretty frequently throughout, especially the Torah. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Yet, in verse 10, he says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, and see if I won't do it. It's the, Lord's, it's, it's, literally, it's the Lord saying, I dare you to be faithful and see if I won't do it. David, David says, Let taste and see the Lord is good. If you get a taste, you'll be convinced. This is what he said. Release your tithe. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. Where is the storehouse? For us, let's say the church. Okay. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, that there may be resources for life in my house. Test me and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven when you do that. Unbelievable stuff. So because of your continual obedience, 
the Lord is allowing the floodgates of heaven to be open so that blessing is starting to pour into the hands of those who have put their treasure and thus their heart in the kingdom. Y'all with me? Y'all hate me? No, I'm just kidding. So, Matt, uh, go ahead and come up here on keys. Go ahead and come up here. I'm not done, but, uh, but I, I just want us to start kind of processing. I, I looked at some statistics this week, and, uh, and I'm just going to share this with you just to show you where we are. I, now, I'm going to say this so cautiously. Do, America, America has seen better days. Let's say it like that. We've seen better days. The church in America, for the most part, has seen better days. Um, and I would give a lot of qualifying statements to that, what we would call better days. But um, could you bump that down? Thank you. But let me just give you some statistics real quick with everything I just read in mind. And, um, and then we're going to do something a little different. This is the American church, okay? Tithers make up only about 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. Only 5% of Americans tithe. And 80% of those who do tithe only give 2% of their income. Christian, now let, just check this out. Christians today, this is Christians, are giving 2.5% of their income on average. 2.5%. During the Great Depression, average giving for Christians was 3.5%. Today, average giving. These were taken before COVID, by the way. So this isn't like COVID skewed. These were taken in the beginning of uh, 2019, I believe. Today, our giving at 2.5% during the worst financial crisis possibly in American history, Christians were giving 3.5% on average. For this is, this is really interesting. For families making... $75,000 a year and more, only 1% of those families tithe. The tithing statistics for those who are on the lower income spectrum blows out of the water the tithing of those who are on an upper income spectrum. Three, listen to this, Three out of four people who don't go to church give to nonprofit organizations. 75% of people who don't go to church are generous. Five percent of Americans, so I don't know, that'd probably be, what did I say earlier? 10 to 25 percent. 10 to 25 percent of Christians that attend church give to God. 75% of those who don't attend church give to the world. Average giving by adults who attend church regularly is about $17 a week. So if you do the math, if that's 10%, 170 times 4 give or take 500 something dollars. 
that people would make to live off of. Obviously, you know, that's not the case. But listen to this. Eight out of ten people who do tithe have zero debt. We as a nation have robbed God. And we as a church, not us, but the church in general, have robbed God and robbed his bride, the church. And he calls it theft. He calls it robbery. Because your money is money that he gave you. We wonder why God's not pouring out revival when we, not him, have locked the floodgates of revival. They are not waiting on him. They're waiting for us. We determine when heaven pours out by our willingness to give what is his in the first place. So, so how do we as a country and we as a church return to God? It has to start with us giving him our hearts, which means giving him our treasure. How do we as a nation? I listen, there's a lot of stuff we got to get right as a nation, but we got to start with giving. That is the most tangible act of worship. It doesn't matter how many times I show up to church, how many times I serve, how many times I'm in a small group, how many times I do this and that and all that stuff. If I'm not trusting God enough to give him 10% of what he gave me in the first place, we don't need to have a conversation about the other stuff. And this isn't me. I'm just I'm giving you from the Lord. This is how he views things. So I looked at some statistics just to show you if everybody who engaged with this church in person or online consistently tied, this is what we could do. This, this is it. All right, on average, between people here and people online across all platforms, including the podcast, we have on average about 300 people each week that engage consistently with Dream Church. About 300. Sometimes that's up to 1,000, but on average, about 300 across the country, across the state. If three, those 300 people gave an average of $200 a month, which is pretty average tithe for American families and people. If 300 people tithe $200 a month, that would mean for our church people would give $60,000 a month or $720,000 a year. Which, which would be awesome, right? Our giving last year, our giving last year was just under $130,000 as a church. Which is, like, praise the Lord for that. That's not, we're blessed, okay? That is, as far as I can come up with, about 18% of what it could be if everybody who engaged this church and was fed by this church tithe. So we're not going to be the church that lets the enemy tell us, don't talk about that because people will get weird when you do. No, we're going to be weird because of what we believe the Lord is doing in this family and in this city and in this state and in this country. And we're going to talk about the things nobody else wants to talk about because I don't care if you see me as weird and I don't care if people get mad about this. 
I mean, I, like we're way beyond that at this point. I care about you being free. I love you. And because I love you, I'm not going to withhold truth from you. And the truth is, is that for us as a family, we are doing awesome. But on a broader scale, on a broader scale, there is so much for the kingdom that we could do if we were just obedient in tithing. This is why we're talking, because we're going to go into resurrection and we're going to go into the gifts of the spirit and we're going to go into community and the church and the ecclesia. We're going to go into all of that stuff. Healing is for like all this other stuff. We're going to go into it. But like if we miss this, if we miss this, the Israelites followed, or at least they said that, followed the law. They were doing all the works of the law. They were trying their best to be perfect people. They were trying their best to be good Israelites that followed what God wanted. And yet they were withholding their tithe from the Lord because their heart was actually far from the Lord. And you don't have to tell somebody who is passionate about God to give. You ever notice that? You don't have to tell somebody who's on fire from the Lord for the Lord to give. You have to convince the people who have been apathetic for months and months and months and months and months that it blesses them to give. It's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of your finances. It's an issue of the heart. And when you get the heart issue fixed, your finances aren't, man, I, I got to give this this month. Your finances are, I'm calling the floodgates of heaven to pour out into my family. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to give. It's a total shift. You're not earning something. You're leveraging something. Every time, think of it this way. Every time you get a paycheck, I want you to, well, most of us get electronically. So, But every time you get a paycheck, I want you to look at that thing and say, Let's say you make up, I don't know, 100 bucks, okay? When you get that $100 paycheck, I want you to look at that and say, here's $100 the Lord has given me to leverage how I see fit. Well, you're right. Not, well, brother, I earned this. I ain't giving to the church. I'll give it to, I'll give it to the Salvation Army. You should give to Salvation Army. I, you know, I'm not saying that. We give to nonprofits as a church all the time. But what I am telling you is, is if we start to see what we have as coming from his hand, which it does, then our tithe will not be an issue of, man, I got to get 10%. You'll start imagining what you could do beyond that. And that's why I said last week, Mr. Bragg has been encouraging us. I'm so glad you guys are here today in person. It's so good to see y'all. But has been encouraging us. He's on our leadership as a church. Like, what does it look like for us to get 15%, 20%? He made the comment the last meeting we had that, how awesome would it be if we got to the place where we as a church were tithing 50%? You know, right? So, so this is where, this is kind of what our vision is as a church. But like, we, we are not holding back. And, and if I'm being honest with you, as a leader, as a leader, the thought of giving away 15% of what comes into this church, if I'm being honest with you, is not easy. And in a natural sense, okay? Now when you start trusting the Lord, it is. But in a natural sense... Running an organization, it's not. However, we're, we're not just going to be a church that sits around and tells people what to do. We're going to lead the way and say, this is what we're doing and this is what we're seeing because of it. You should too. So um, so we're not going to be the church that, that the enemy tricks into not talking about certain things. People get weird, and I said this earlier, about this is my last note, about this topic because of Conviction. That's it. It's not because it's a weird topic. It's not a weird topic. It's, it's because of conviction. I mean, we're, we sit around and talk about how to make revival happen, 
when we hold the key. Listen to what Luke says. Luke 6, 38. Listen to this. It says, Give, and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. Listen. For the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. For the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. This is the first time we as a church have talked about tithing in a message. And, um, and a lot of the reason is because I know the response that gets. This isn't a big like hype-up message, but it should be. This should be, this should be the message that all of you, because most of our people are faithful. A lot of you should hear this message, and you should say, man, we're unlocking things we didn't even know we were unlocking. But, but, and I'm looking to the camera, for all of you who engage this church on a weekly basis, we love you, and we're so glad you're here. So glad, so glad. But, if you really want to be a part of what the Lord's doing here, Help us unlock the floodgates of heaven. I, um, this week we were um, just kind of trying to get back to normal life a little bit in the sense that like everybody was out of quarantine. And, um, and you know, I was playing in the floor of the Veda. We were playing, I don't even know, Barbies or something like that. So I'm terrible at playing Barbies, but... Um, uh, you know, I, I just go along the way, make it up. And um, anyway, anyway, we're playing. And, but the heart that she has, we had uh, a bag of chocolate of Hershey Kisses from Christmas. And uh, I love chocolate. And they were hidden for a reason because I wanted them for me. And, um, and so anyway, but one day I made the uh, mistake of giving her one of those. But then she knew where they were. So... Ever since then, it's almost been like a daily, and Jordan, Jordan just went to help them wrap up, but, you know, we don't do sugar a lot, and so this has been really difficult for Jordan, but um, on a daily basis, that's kind of like become our thing, and we just ran out, but of uh, me and her, like, eating a piece of chocolate before Jordan wakes up, you know, and it's like, hey, like, by the way, um, <laughs> but we, uh, but me and Vader were talking, and over and over and over, Every time we would get these uh, chocolates down, she, she would ask me who we need to give some to. And it's, it's real childish, but every time we, you know, we need to take some to church. We, we had some family visiting this weekend. We need to make sure we give some to our family. When Jordan was in quarantine, we, you know, we used to take her some all the time and stuff like that. Even though Veda wanted them for herself, her mindset was on, as much as I want these for myself, it blesses me more to see other people enjoying them. As a child, right? Unless you become as a child, you'll never be able to see the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. My point is, is that I'm looking at her raw faith that hasn't been tampered with, that hasn't been flooded with any kind of bad theology or anything like that, but just this raw faith that she has. And I'm seeing fruit come out of her rawness in my life because I'm starting to see what it means to actually become a child. And that's what this is. It's you trusting the Father to say, I'm going to release what you've given me in the first place because I am totally dependent 
on you. And as someone who is totally dependent on you, I don't worry about what I, quoting Jesus, what I will wear, what I will eat, what I will drink, what's coming up tomorrow, but I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to give what you have called me to give and leverage that into opening the floodgates of heaven so that my family, and according to Hebrews pointing to Abraham, my legacy will be blessed by those floodgates being open. So you're not just giving to help the church today. You're giving and unlocking the floodgates for everybody coming behind you, which is going to push us so deep into your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not even funny in ways that we could never imagine in the paradigm of I've got to keep this to be saved. I mean, I'm, I'm writing a book right now, and I said I would never write a book, and here I am. But the whole book is about redefining everything, redefining goodness, redefining trust, all this other stuff. But I was writing a chapter yesterday, and even in this, where we have this idea of safety, amen, where we, we have an idea of, of what is safe, right? So a lot of us don't take what we call big steps of faith, which aren't that, but we don't take big steps of faith because... We don't want to risk what we have found safety in. Right? So, so all of you in this room have dreams. All of you have dreams. And you know exactly what they are. That A lot of which you haven't told people because you, you would think that they think you're going to... You think they're going to think that you're crazy. Right? All, so all, all of us have these dreams... Like, Lord, if anybody ever found that out, or even the people that know about it in your life are always like, yeah, but, you know, man, I, I think I want to go to school to be an artist. Well, man, lawyers make pretty good, you know, th but we all have these dreams, right? But every time those dreams come into the forefront of our mind, 99% of the time, we shove them down because we say something like this, it's too risky. What if I lose everything? What if I fail? And we say all this other stuff. And so we live in a false safety. Because there, I need you to hang with me for a second. There's only one image in creation, and it's God's. So if you're not following God's path, you're not following another path. It seems like it, because every time you say no, you find yourself in a different place than where you should be. So it seems like it. But when you're not following God's ways and God's path, you're not going down another path of your own making. What you're actually doing is falling into an abyss of nothingness that masks itself as a path of your own making. It's not, here's Jesus' way, and this is the way that I could go, or here's the world's way and the way that I could go on my own. That's not, it's, Here's Jesus' way and the way that you could go, or here's nothing. And you could fall deep into the pit of nothingness and end up in a sense of nothingness. Or you could say yes to what is safe and follow the path of Jesus. We call this safe. We call this safe. And we call it a risk to do this. This is safe. This is where all the risk is right here. The risk is not you saying yes to the Lord. The risk is you saying no to the Lord and becoming what you were never designed to become, 
which is an average American dream person. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But all of us have decided we got to have the picket fence and the family and be working at a job that's consistent and all that stuff. And, it, and some people are given the grace to do that. Absolutely. But if that's where you are because you think it's safe, you're not living safe. You're living risky. In the stock market, people don't invest typically. I've done this and got ripped. But people don't typically invest in risky stocks. Why? Because there's a chance it could shoot up or there's a chance it could ruin everything. Instead, people invest in safe stocks. That there's not a chance there's going to be volatility. Why? Because at the end of the day, you're going to get a good return and there's not a big risk of you losing everything, right? So how we define risk is the chance we lose everything. We do that naturally. We do it in finance. We do it in risk, something risky means there is a percentage chance you're going to lose everything. So risk is not following this path. The path that Psalm says was written in his book before one of my days came to be. The risk is saying no and following the path that leads to destruction that many find. My favorite poem of all time that I've quoted over and over and over is the Robert Frost Road Less Traveled. I don't even think that's what it's called, but, but that's what I call it because that's the, phrase, you know, the, the part of the poem I always quote. And, it, and it's the place where he, where he writes at the end of that poem. It's an awesome poem. But he's like, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. I have, I have wept over that. Because this room is full of people, I believe, I know your story, that you have chosen the road less traveled for the most part. The road that nobody else took, yet that has made all the difference. So I'm not just talking about tithing, even though I am. I'm talking about what does it mean to live a life of yes. And the first step of that is your finances, because let's be honest, what would you do for the Lord if you had unlimited money? I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, so it's, it literally comes down to our money. We, people don't follow their dreams because they're afraid they're going to lose their money. It's really not because they're afraid they're going to fail. It's because, what if I lose all my money? So the first step in a life of yes is taking all of your money and saying, it's yours. That removes the finance issue. And once that issue is removed, every other step the rest of the way is all a fruit that you have put your heart at the finish line. So, this is how we're going to end this. This is how we're going to end this. We're going to do it a little different. Um, there's a reason we didn't take up an offering in the beginning. Um, but I, I want us as a church this year, we're going to do this as a church. Like, we're going to, we, we, we tithe anyway, but we're going to step, we're stepping that up as we speak. But what does it look like for us as a body, every individual, every family, to give the first and the best of what we have to the Lord? Like, not, not just what's left over, not just when I can or when I get to it or you know, man, I just I really feel led this month to give to this nonprofit. That's awesome. That's called a, that's called an offering. Do that all you want. That's not your tithe. This isn't a tithe. Okay, your tithe is the ten percent 
and I would say plus, that's the floor, 10% into the Lord's house so that there may be food in his house. Okay, that's what it is. So what does it look like for us as a family to give the first and best of what we have? When we receive something, before, this, is what me, this is what we do. Before I think about paying my mortgage, before I think about paying my utility bill, before I think about all that stuff, the first thing I do on payday is go straight to the Dream Church app and I give. First thing. And it's because I believe that when that first and best is given to the Lord, it says, like I said earlier, it tells all the rest of my money, this is what you're going to be. When you're giving the last and whatever's left to the Lord, you're telling all of your money, we're going to be about me. I mean, what, what you do with the first and the best of what you have tells all the rest of what you have what it's going to be about. So here's how we're going to end this. Here's how we're going to end this. Hopefully y'all are still with me. If not, sorry. But um, we're going we're gonna to give. This is going to be our response. And, um, and here's what we're going to do. Matt's going to play. I'm going to just leave this up here. And uh, it's up at the front. Um, but if you, if you want to come give, give. But like if you, most people give online. But I just want this to be a concern. It's the first week of the month. Okay? First Sunday of the month. So everybody's been paid and all that other stuff. I want us to make this, this united decision right now in this moment, I mean, if you've already given, like you, y'all, y'all feel me, to give the Lord what he deserves. Not dream church. We're doing great. We're fine. The Lord doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. He doesn't need your money. He, he doesn't even use money, okay? Right? At least in, the, in heaven. But he doesn't need your money, but he, he wants your heart. And the way to your heart is your money. So I'm going uh, to pray, and then we're just going to take a minute. If you want to come up and pray, absolutely do that. Um, but I want our response today to be about giving. And um, so we're going to do that. We're going to pray. If you're watching online, all the stuff to do that is right there. DreamColumbia.com slash give, text, uh, website, all that. You can mail it. If you want to mail us a check, send us an email. We'll send you the address. Don't mail it to this address. Um, please. But anyway, but uh, yeah, so we're going to do that and then we'll wrap it up. So if you want to give in person, hop up here. There's that on your phone, all that stuff. But that's just how we're going to respond today. So Matt's going to play a minute and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up.